Hi, this is Erica Hope from Equity Rising. Today, instead of sharing a chime-in that introduces you to today's guest and helps you understand why they're a changemaker, we want to encourage you to be a changemaker. Just like the workers at Ponder, we encourage you to take a stand at spreading equity by sharing this podcast with friends, family, and coworkers. We challenge you to tell three people about Equity Rising. Forward them this episode, post it on social media. You can even rate and review the show on your favorite platform. So make your own chime in this week and help us spread the word about Equity Rising. We are all part of the solution and informing people is the first step to making change. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Equity Rising Season 2. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and joining me today is Cody Funderbunk. I'm so excited because we keep spotlighting amazing local equity changemakers doing great work. And Cody is definitely addition to that amazing list. Thank you so much, Cody, for joining me today. Yes, for sure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so, Cody, I want to dive into this because, you know, we we love to start our podcast off and we ask every guest, uh, first things first, how are you taking care of yourself? Yes, that's such an important question. For me recently, that's been my entire objective. I had an accident in August where I broke my knee in a skateboarding accident as I have surgery to have it fixed. So for the past several months, I've been in post-operative care, just trying to get enough sleep, eating right, um, taking care of myself. I've been in physical therapy full time. So taking care of myself has been my primary objective since for the past several months, at least. Well, you know what? I'm glad to hear that. And honestly, you know, sometimes we need something to shake us up before we really start to prioritize self-care. So um, sad to hear about your knee, but glad to hear about on the other side of that, you're really being intentional about self-care. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It's really important. And, you know, I I mean, we have talked about cannabis equity uh, here on Equity Rising in season one. We had a couple of guests who really were speaking about the ways that their organizations were involved in some cannabis equity across the nation. So I'm really happy to be able to sit down with you and get an insight as to how it's being done here in uh, Seattle and beyond and throughout King County. One of the things that I know uh, closely is that the the union, UFCW Local 21, has been a a leader in terms of saying one of the things that they can do as a union organization is to start unionizing and organizing the labor force and the workers. And you're really involved in that effort. Let's start at the beginning for you, Cody. Uh, How has this been for you? I mean, let's talk about your entry into the cannabis industry. Yeah, so I entered the cannabis industry right out of college. It was my first job after graduating from Evergreen State College. I actually studied cannabis business at Evergreen. So the field of work definitely aligns with my field of study. Um, And in the business of cannabis, specifically because it was oriented around Washington State and I-502, I learned a lot about the equity challenges that is being faced with the cannabis industry in Washington right now. Specifically how, like, for example, less than 1% of cannabis businesses in Washington are owned by people of color. It's pretty much exclusively white men that run the cannabis industry. So that was one of the things that I was aware of going into it. And then as soon as I started working in cannabis, I got to see these challenges firsthand. 
Yeah, it's been, to answer your question, it's been an uphill battle for sure ever since we decided to unionize. I worked at Ponder for about three years before we even talked about starting a union. What prompted our decision to unionize was really the COVID struggle. Retail workers in Washington state were being granted specific protections like hazard pay, for example, especially in grocery retail spaces. And in cannabis, we did not have hazard pay. We were working without healthcare, without dental care. So we were tremendously lacking just like basic quality of life protections that people would expect to have at their workplace. And that specifically affected, I mean, pretty much all of our employees at Ponder are people from marginalized backgrounds. A lot of Black people, a lot of queer people, people of color in general make up the majority of our staff at Ponder. So for us to lack these workplace protections while people like owners are making money off of this business, it, you know, it really like shed a light or spotlighted specifically how these equity challenges are real and affect our day-to-day lives. I mean, absolutely they do. And I I think it really does take champions of these issues to make sure that the masses understand the inequality, right, that's built into them. I I always say it's about capitalism, but I think it goes so far beyond that because honestly, you know, if you're a owner of a business, you really do have the authority to choose how that business is going to run. And the ways that you care for your workers is really on you. It's up to you. And Unfortunately, the ideas around, you know, profit over people, we've seen time and time again how that how that has, you know, unfortunate results for the people more so than anything. And exactly. so, yeah, it really does take uh, champions like yourself to, to start understanding these things and putting it out there in the forefront. What about all of this work in terms of your personal experience as a cannabis worker made you say, you know what, like, here we are with COVID, no hazard pay. You know, I can't wait for somebody else to do something. I've got to be one of the people that is going to help lead this. What was it about that for you that made you really step up in this tremendous way? Well, honestly, it was really a collective effort between me and my coworkers. It was something that it was an idea that had been pitched around for a while. Like we should join a union. This workplace isn't as equitable and as fair as we'd like for it to be. And we have the power to change that. So it was really just, I mean, the planning stages kind of took a long time. It's really been a long sort of arduous process, especially as far as the legality is concerned. But yeah, our decision to just start the union itself was kind of a collective decision between several of us because we all were on the same page and we all felt the same way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times these kind of things have to happen with um, others involved, right? You build relationships um, outside of the workplace in order to make this happen. How has it been for you and other workers there at Ponder to start connecting with UFCW Local 21? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, camaraderie is the most important thing in any social movement. It's the it's the fuel for the fire, if you will. So that UFCW has streamlined that process for us and made it really easy for us to get in touch with other workers at other cannabis shops that are having similar struggles and then also collaborate so that we can go on strike together. We can raise awareness to the challenges that we're experiencing together. And then because, you know, we are united as a cannabis workforce as bud tenders. And we really do have a collective enemy here in this battle, which is the minority homogenous white male demographic that owns and operates cannabis as it exists in Washington right now. 
Yeah. Understanding that collectivity, I think, is so key to this because I'm always saying that, you know, when we think about the power of social justice movements or equity work in general, it takes the voice of so many people to come together to really build that collective power. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the unionized movement, right? When it comes to labor, there's always been this. And, you know, in Black community in particular, we talk about how you know, labor industries have have always been inclusive of Black folks, right? There was even some history there, dark history around unionizing that was exclusive to Black folks. But what I love about what's happening now is that the workers come together in a diverse set of backgrounds to really understand that they're all fighting for something that is similar, right? Yes. Oftentimes it is really just to be able to be treated fairly in the workforce. And so much of what I think we see nowadays, um, even outside of cannabis, is that there's a, a hard driver between, you know, the ones who are profiting off of worker is workers and their labor and their time commitments and the ones that are actually on the ground doing the work. And there's almost always such a huge distinction between how the two are living. And, exactly. uh, you know, you think about somebody who's got the yachts and the vacation homes and all of this. Mm-hmm. And then you think about a worker who's like, man, I'm just trying to get my vacation vacation, right? I'm just trying right. to, and a lot of times that, that may mean I'm staycationing. I'm in just in the house or something because I don't have the money to go off and, you know, be in this vacation home or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the ideas about the difference of life, I think is super, super important and key when we're talking about these distinctions, what are some of the things that you and other workers have been able to kind of bond over as you guys have been going through this process together and really going through this struggle together? Right. So our main three things were, as I mentioned, our lack of healthcare, but then also a lack of a real pay scale or a pay structure. When I started working at Ponder, I got annual raises. But as far as I'm aware, the new hires at Ponder aren't getting annual raises. Mm-hmm. So we've had that conversation. We've had conversations on pay and equity. And that was one of the things that we were looking forward to with UFCW 21 is being able to say we want to have a fair and equitable pay scale so that we understand, you know, what's going on here. And then the third is unjust firings, protection against unjust firings. When I, so right before we started unionizing, one of our coworkers was unjustly terminated just because of like, he missed one shift basically. And it was a shift that he wasn't even scheduled to work originally. It was just like brought up to him, like, will you cover the shifts? And then he missed it. I think he just forgot it was an accident. And they fired him over that one incident. So we really wanted to have uh, protection against unjust firing so that we could have stability in our workplaces and feel that we had uh, like a solid source of income. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that was uh, the three main things that we were looking for. And what's funny is after we started unionizing, the owner of the store decided to terminate three of my coworkers. So that left us incredibly short-staffed. It was in retaliation, of course, to our decision to unionize. And that was at the same time that I was laid off from my position as a columnist. So in addition to bud tending and medical cannabis consulting at Ponder, I also would write uh, columns for the store website and for the Madison Park Times, a local newspaper. And so because the owner decided that he was going to close the store, he fired three of my coworkers and then decided to pause marketing materials 
which basically meant that I was laid off from my position as a columnist. Um, so we experienced a lot of retaliation there and it was in direct opposition to our main goals, which was a protection against unjust firings, right? So yeah, that was one of the main challenges that we've experienced so far, because we are still short staffed to this day. We are lacking adequate staff. You know, this is really uh, one of the parts I say, you know, it's almost like a, a rose growing out of the concrete, right? Where it's like through these struggles uh, together, you all are collectivizing your voices and making sure that you are setting a foundation for yourselves, but also for future workers at Ponder. But it sets a precedence. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is how, you know, these kinds of protections are not inherently built into the cannabis industry. By far, they're not. Um, this is something that I know UFCW Local 21 has experienced on a mass scale, where it's whether it's Ponder or it's you know other uh, uh, shops like now have a heart is unionized. Um, we've heard about stories from Uncle Ike's. Um, when we think about it, though, it, this is something that is like nationally known. As the cannabis industry became legal, there wasn't any um, in you know built-in protections for workers at the gate, right? So then it was left up to individual shop owners to decide how they were going to do this. And more often than not, they chose not to do it at all, right? Not to right. allow for unionization, to keep it at a privatization. And then that meant that they had the power really with how the you know structure was going to be for workers. So I think that this is also really setting a precedence, Cody, around you know how cannabis industry is now looking at doing business a little bit differently. And as you guys collectively pull your struggle together and, and, and allow your voices to be like one loud collective voice, have you guys been thinking about how this actually sets a major tone for the industry in itself? Absolutely. Yes. So the cannabis industry, the legal cannabis industry is perfectly poised to, to serve as a model for equity uh, and to, as, a, as a way to um, provide reparations to communities, marginalized demographics that were unfairly impacted under the war on drugs for the past century, up until the past, up until legalization, basically. And it's unfortunate that the cannabis industry hasn't done that yet, and that it's actually served as a model sort of for the opposite or for the antithesis of that. So, yes, I mean, that is like an incredibly important conversation and a really big part of this is how this sort of levies the playing field, if that makes sense, uh, in our favor. And yeah, it promotes equity. Yes. You know, this is exactly why I love the term equity change maker, because it can mean so many different things. And here for our team over at Equity Rising, you know, we get so excited when we talk to folks like yourselves because we realize even more the expansive nature that equity has. And I think every episode I say, look, equity wasn't built into anything on purpose, right? So now we have to purposefully build it into everything. And that's kind of what uh, what I love is like a, a constant thorough line, no matter who I'm talking with, that 
there is a real intentionality that has to happen at this moment in order for us to understand the infusion of equity into all industries. And mm-hmm. I think that it's important when we talk about some of the ways that we do this. I think there's, um, a, again, a wide variety. You have to be on the ground doing work. And we we do that at King County Equity now by, you know, we were part of all these protest movements, doing events and actually being on the ground to educate our community members on some of the injustices, much of which was never taught in school. So then people don't even understand, you know, how equity needs to be infused into everything right now. They're just now really waking up to those ideas. Right. America is kind of playing its role in a sense of, you know, everybody now has to have a DEI, you know, framework or a DEI component to their job or to their company or corporation. Right. But it became kind of catchy. And so sometimes I'm like, Hey, is it performative or are you really looking to do something? something or are you just jumping on a bandwagon because it exists and I exactly. think yeah when it comes to cannabis you are so right um, when you say that cannabis has the opportunity to really infuse equity in the beginning they didn't do it so now it's like got to be done in a, in a wide variety of ways not just at the local level with what you guys are doing but I know you guys are also looking at policy and legislation and moving this kind of stuff forward can you tell us a little bit about that work and how the, the work you're doing in the store then permeates new policy and legislation in the cannabis industry Sure. Yeah. So our main goal is ownership and promoting ownership within cannabis. That's extremely important to leveraging power and creating like an equal and fair power dynamic. And so in order for us to do that, we, first of all, we want to have more licenses available for cannabis retailers in Seattle, specifically for black people or people in general from marginalized backgrounds who were impacted negatively under the war on drugs, maybe even ideally specifically people with past cannabis criminal convictions, right? That is one of the most important things. Yeah, that that is the most important thing, honestly, is promoting ownership within cannabis. Yeah, and then also using tax money from the cannabis industry to promote social equity programs. That's another important component. Yeah, there, there's such a huge push right now. Um, you know, the Washington State had the Cannabis Equity Task Force, and they recently, um, you know, released their recommendations, right, for the state. Um, and I, I remember I was on a call and they were sharing some of their recommendations, kind of what they were going to be taking to Governor Inslee. And, you know, there were so many different community members who were a part of that call in the short period that, they'd allow, uh, that they allowed public comment. And so many folks were saying, this is not enough. You know, what you guys are trying to yes. do is just pennies in the bucket, really. It is small, small um, efforts. And it really dwindled down because originally there were so many people that were involved in the beginning of the recommendations to say, you know what, we actually need this amount of licenses. They were talking about doing it in the hundreds, you know, to make sure that the, the equity was coming off the bat. And then it got whittled down over time. And I'm not sure why necessarily, because there's such a strong community voice of advocates who have come together, who have been experts in cannabis industry since the beginning, that have also, like you said, been shut out from that ownership piece um, also since the beginning. And so the ideas of opening up the recreational licenses, thinking about social equity licensing, just like they've done in like Oakland, they've done social equity licensing in other areas of the country. And we have a lot to learn from in that regard. In our first season of Equity Rising, we were able to speak to 
Raven, who gave us a, a first look into what it actually means to be one of the first people out there in Oakland that was a recipient of a social equity license. But they paired these really, it was like black owned businesses, but like you say, those from the global majority and those who have been, you know, primarily the targets of the war on drugs and, and dealt with it in a negative impact on their lives. But they were able to take those social equity licensees and connect them with a major industry owner, right? Who's in the cannabis industry, who is thriving in their business and do a mentorship program, right? Where they were saying, these guys need that help. They need to understand, get the connections when it comes to wholesaling, when it comes to where they're getting materials, all of that in setting these businesses up for success, right? And it's the job of the mentor to ensure that the mentee is really getting all of the nuts and bolts that they have gotten over their understanding and and life cycle in the cannabis industry to, to make sure that these businesses are thriving. And so I said, man, you know, that's an amazing program. I wonder what it would take for us to understand that we need to be doing that here in Washington. There's so much more room to grow when we think about the policy and legislation with regard to opening up the ownership of licenses and then again, understanding the ancillary businesses, I think, which is also key to this because everything may not be about owning a marijuana shop. It may be right. having a CBD business or, you know, doing something around wholesale. Producing and processing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Good. So as you have been, you know, now really steeped into it and, and shout out to uh, Dr. Maxine Mims who founded Evergreen State College, shout out to her that you went there and and their their vast programming is just amazing and phenomenal mm-hmm. but really there's a lot of work to be done so this is like a step in the right direction that you guys are taking as you think about this kind of futuristically speaking what are some of the things that you're really gunning for and hoping for that your efforts either spark some change ignite something else allow this to flourish in the ways that we're just describing Yeah, so of course, promoting ownership and equity, but then also inspiring other social movements that can do the same thing. As you touched on in Oakland and throughout the Bay Area, they have a lot of really good nonprofit organizations that are working to promote social equity within cannabis. And just like UFCW Local 21, we have that here too, but we can inspire more of that and we can see more of that over time by really pushing this initiative and pushing this, uh, these talking points. It's incredibly important. Yeah, I I mean, this is such important work, not just for the region, but I I think sometimes when people think about uh, cannabis and they think about Washington State, they used to say Washington State had the best cannabis, right? We had the best weed, the best product, right? It's coming right here from out of Washington. And there would be this whole battle between, oh, is it California? Is it Washington? And you would hear it infused in hip hop music. I mean, it was just infused in a lot of different ways where they would be having this battle, right? (laughs) And so it's really interesting because as I talk to people across the nation, the ideas that in Washington State, we're having to fight so hard for this kind of equity in cannabis is be unbeknownst to most people they're like what you know we just knew that you guys were getting it right and we have this outlook that we're so liberal and so forward (laughs) thinking that the idea is that no we're, we're really struggling when it comes to that we're struggling when it comes to ownership have you also experienced some of that bewilderment around people understanding man it takes folks like you to make this happen 
For sure, definitely. I think some people, they kind of anticipate it just given the demographics of Washington State as a whole. But even still, there is so much. I mean, Seattle is a very equity minded place compared to most other places throughout the U.S. So I think it does take people by surprise sometimes to learn that it's so skewed here, you know. Yeah, it really is. And and as I think about you and your your personal lived experience what are some of the things that you've gone through personally that maybe even as a young child that made you now understand oh man you know the struggles that I dealt with there gave me you know the the confidence and the courage to step out and champion this issue right now are there any connections that you can make to your childhood that uh, really put you in in a proper position to do what you're doing now in terms of your leadership I suppose. Yeah. So when I I started using cannabis, when I was like a teenager, it was kind of like my fun little like side thing that I like to do. And at a certain point when I was studying cannabis business in college and I was learning about the discrepancies in, you know, penalization and sentencing and the war on drugs, I realized if I had lived my life the way I have right now as a person of color, I would have been in jail probably and gotten arrested for cannabis use at some point you know, in late high school or early college. And I realized just how much privilege I have. And that really made me want to do something with it, right? And take action and change that. Yeah. You know, I I think you're, you're absolutely right, Cody. I mean, this is an opportunity for lessons for us all. And when Mm -hmm. I think about it, you know, just as a black woman, there's so many things that I've seen in my lifetime that really get me to understand the need for the collection of voices. Um, When I think about equity, oftentimes I always say, you know, it's not it's not a black or white issue. Like it's an an all an American issue. Like we need to do with, you know, the the confines of the past and really out uh, bring it out to bear so that we can deal with it and we can actually create new norms that will allow for us to have the building blocks that are necessary for us to see amazing change. But this is really what it's about. And I and I think that there's ways that we can make sure that our public and, and our communities are engaged in this, whether they're in cannabis work or not. What are some of the ways that you think that the everyday citizen can just participate to make sure their voice is a part of this collective? Absolutely. Um, well, unfortunately, in Washington, it's really hard for consumers to support Black-owned cannabis businesses because, as we've discussed, there aren't many. That would be one of the most convenient and effective ways is just to directly financially support Black-owned businesses. I think at this point, there are enough dispensaries that are joining the unionization effort that supporting financially dispensaries with workers that are collectivizing and unionizing is one of the most intelligent steps right now uh, because it empowers those workers to continue making those changes. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's about education. And this is something for me where I say, the more that the everyday citizen is engaged and educated and informed about how their dollars are being utilized, right? Where do they spend their money? Like you are so right, Cody, to, to talk about at the end of the day, if you are partaking in cannabis, be aware of mm-hmm. where you're putting your dollars, right? Is it just that that shop is close to your house? So you're just like, hey, it's the lowest hanging fruit. 
Or do you understand that that owner is, you know, treating workers fairly, is allowing workers to unionize, is not being against um, the collectivization of unionization, but that they are promoting it from within? Or are you just saying, I don't care where I get my weed? You know what I mean? I, I think that so much of it is on us as individuals. And that's why I love being able to produce this kind of podcast, because ultimately, the more that I can do to put it out there for people to be engaged and educated, just be an informed consumer, which I think is so important across the board, right? Absolutely. Outside of things like cannabis, I've talked about this, even when you're thinking about a designer brand, for instance, right? Does Mm -hmm. that designer brand, is it built off the backs of slavery and the cotton industry? You know, Right. right? Or do you have the ability to now build up Black-owned businesses by participating and being a consumer of their goods and services? There's so many things that we can do nowadays with the internet for us to just be engaged and be informed. We don't have to actually blindly spend our money anywhere. So I love that you target that because I agree 100%. And it's something that I put into practice in my life. And I really try to exemplify that and model that not only for my sons, but for my community as, as a whole. Because I do think it's really important. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, meeting up with UFCW, um, being able to connect with uh, the workers. Let's think about the beginning of all of that. I mean, as Mm -hmm. you were, you know, uh, there at Ponder and realizing, hey, this is really inequitable. This is not really working for a lot of the workers. Okay, there's people that are getting fired unjustly. All of the things that you described, how did you originally connect with UFCW Local 21 to now really embark upon this major effort? Yeah, so I was actually not the person who originally reached out to UFCW 21. It was one of my coworkers. And after it was sort of, yeah, we were kind of connected with each other, if that makes sense, through a through a liaison. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Somebody, somebody said enough is enough. Reach exactly. out to UFCW. <laughs> and, yep. and, and, and initiative. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and like UFCW, they took the charge head mm-hmm. on. Kudos to everybody over there at UFCW. I have been able to connect with them on a couple of different issues. And one of the things that um, I love the most about it, first of all, it was the first union I was ever connected to as a, a young worker at Safeway, uh, UFC oh. one was my first job right there on Capitol Hill. And uh, I did not understand the role that the union really played. And, and when I when I grew up and I realized there were some opportunities that I had to really engage my union rep um, a couple of different times where I was fired unjustly, right? Um, where there was discrimination against me as a young manager um, in, in Kroger. And it, it, I, I dealt with grocery industry jobs for a while. And so I was really connected to UFCW for a long time. And didn't realize the power of that collectivization. Um, And I think that there's something that must be said too about the education of the worker to understand their power, which is what UFCW does so well. You know, as, as you guys are engaging new workers and getting people to understand this, how has it been on this trail of really informing and educating workers about why this is beneficial to them? Yeah, it's been somewhat difficult, but also it's possible. It's been possible, but difficult. It's been kind of an uphill battle. We didn't originally get everybody at Ponder on the same 
vote all at once. It's sort of been like a long process. I think also as we sort of come to like settlement agreements and things like that, some more workers might come around and start to see like, oh, the union is representing me in these and these ways. And I stand to benefit from this in such and such way. I, I expect that uh, in the next few months, as things as cards sort of like fall into place, that we'll see more, more and more uh, participation as time goes on. Yeah, because sometimes people just actually have to see it to believe it, right? Exactly. Yes. So that was one of the battles that we've had so far. Yeah. It's always astonishing to me that we have, um, no matter what the demographic is or the, the, the age bracket, that we have people who really are just like, whoa, wait a minute, that, mm-hmm. is, new. that is something different. And I'm not sure if I want to be on that different train. And it takes a lot of education and information for them to feel comfortable understanding yes. that they'll be supported through the process, which I think is really key to th- something like this, because people are afraid to lose their jobs, understand mm-hmm. themselves. Um, we are in a pandemic. So the ideas of even having a job right now, we understand that that's a, a major benefit to all of our lives. It's not an inherent thing. It's not built into, you know, what you're going to just get anyway. And we have a lot of people out there that are, you know, trying to work gig to gig just to make it day by day. So I think that that is also one of those things where people sometimes have to break down their fear of exactly. unknown. Yeah, to to partake in something like this. And so, you know, kudos to you and everybody over at Ponder who is having those necessary, uncomfortable discussions at times to get Mm -hmm. people to understand that there is actual comfortability and security on the other side. Because oftentimes that's just what it is. It's a lot of people being fearful of what may happen to them. And absolutely, I think that that's one of the things that is the most disheartening about the whole thing. You know, as we as we understand that this is what progress is really made off of. Progress is made because people choose to not accept status quo, right? And yes. not accept antiquated systems and the ways that they play out in a negative benefit for their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or in a negative way. So Absolutely. the idea that you guys are saying, you know what, we're going to take this head on and we're going to, you know, we're going to talk to people one-on-one. We're going to meet them where they are. That's really important. And I, I think that that's really what it's about. Sometimes because you're in the same industry, you're able to really connect with them exactly where they are. And they're hearing it from somebody who is like them. You guys have a couple of uh, big things that are going to be happening recent, you know, pretty soon here with regard to some uh, settlement offers. I know. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about some of the things that you have on the horizon that are coming up? Sure. Yeah. So as far as I understand, USCW 21 and the owner of Ponder are uh, coming to negotiate and coming to settlement agreements soon. Um, I know that there are several ULPs and that there's going to be a hearing, I believe, in December next month. So that will probably prompt some changes and some negotiations. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen yet, but I guess we'll stay tuned and find out. Oh, it's so exciting. The entire thing. I mean, 
you guys are fighting for yourselves and that matters more than anything. And again, I mean, I've been saying it throughout this entire recording, but I mean it just kudos to you guys, because without it, it would just be status quo all around. People would feel like that's that's all they have to accept. And I love that you're just really pushing the narrative that it's not about that, that you don't have to accept this if it's not comfortable for you and that you're being vocal because oftentimes that again, that's where change is made. And that's how the powers that be start to realize, actually, I'm not as powerful as all these people that are working for me, right? Like, if they get together, they're going to be more powerful than just what I want, because you don't really want a revolving door. You want people that understand the customer base, that are building relationships with their customers as they come in through the door, that are familiar faces, you know, for customers, because that also gives a sense of security for them to know, okay, this is a thriving business. I can keep on patronizing this business. Uh, so there's a lot that I think is involved here. And uh, it takes a lot to stand up on your own and say, we're going to be sure that we're fighting for the everyday worker. But you guys are also really creating a model. And this is what the labor world does in general, is to create that model to exemplify after where it says, look, we are doing this on behalf of ourselves. We're caring for each other. We're going to lock arms and we're going to do this thing. So kudos to you, Cody, uh, and everybody over there that's helping you with this effort. Um, If if any of our listeners, you know, if there's other ways that they can maybe get connected to UFCW, maybe they're a worker at a cannabis shop themselves and they're wondering about how to get in contact with somebody or how to start this process for themselves. Do you have any word of advice for them? Yeah, UFCW21 is easy to get in contact with. You can reach out to them on Instagram. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can get involved. And I mean, to be honest, this was my first time ever participating in a union. I know I'm pretty sure with a lot of people and my coworkers at Ponder, it is their first time in a union as well. Uh, And it's not as scary and daunting as it may seem at first. It was one of the best decisions that I've made in my career so far. So if you're intrigued by it, I would encourage you to do it. There you go. Get involved, step up, be a leader. Uh, It's important. And also it's so necessary. Uh, Cody, thank you again so much for your time with me today on Equity. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Absolutely. Well, you guys heard it from Cody. Uh, You know, clearly there is a push happening over at Ponder. There is people stepping up. They are becoming equity change makers in their own right. And if you're out there and you're wondering how you can get involved, get engaged or get your your folks organized in a union way, UFCW Local 21 is definitely open and ready to help lead the way. At the end of the day, they have such a, a great expertise of being connected to community efforts that have unionized many a different people and different workers and have always been there to be there for the backs of workers and worker solidarity. And it's important that we take these kinds of opportunities into our hands and showcase to owners of businesses and to different industries that workers are in fact the most important part of the business. Um, if without the workers, you don't have a business. So I 
I want you guys to be inspired, be encouraged to step out there and be bold and innovative. Even if you think you can't make any change happen, but you won't know unless you try. So get out there and start. Cody is seeing themselves as a part of the solution. I really, really hope that you're inspired and engaged by this equity change maker themselves and that you then take on something that makes you say, you know what, I can do it too, just like Cody has done with others. You guys can definitely do it. And I hope that this episode right here inspires you to step out and be bold. Thanks so much for listening, y'all.